Welcome to Tropeful, a weekly look at how trope influences our understanding of our texts. I'm Cantor David Reinwald, and this week is a week of finales. We complete the book of numbers with a double portion. It's Parashat Matot Mas'e. This week we will also hear the final of the rare tropes, one in each of the halves of the double portion. Come and let's learn. This portion is very detail-laden. In fact, I find it one that is hard to fully glean from without picking apart all of the various details. Thus, I will try to piece apart just a couple of these details and how they relate to my consistent focus, the trope. It is exciting to have reached this milestone in completing my list of the rarest tropes. The first rare trope we will look at is the final appearance of the Mercha Kifula, the double Mercha trope, and this is its fifth incarnation. Here we find it at the very end, and by the very end, I am referring to the final verse of the first portion, Matot. This is in chapter 32, verse 42. Now if you look at this verse alone, You will walk away scratching your head, not knowing what it is referring to. Let me read it for you. And Nobah went and captured Kenat and its dependencies, renaming it Nobah after himself. Alright, did you get anything from that? I thought not. So, let's investigate what's happening here. This portion, or this first half, continues to look at the path forward for the descendants of the tribes. If you remember last week, we found ourselves amidst a second census. Now, that a lot of counting has been done, the counting moved on to the property of the tribes, and a lot of the tribes own a lot of cows. Yes, it was a lucrative and important business for them. Meanwhile, the tribes of Gad and Reuben, or the descendants of those tribes, go to Moses and they say, Hey, what do you think if we just stayed right here and didn't go forward into Canaan? And we also would really like to keep our cows here too. As you can imagine, Moses as the leader who fought and journeyed hard for the people isn't so keen on this idea. Ultimately, Moses paints a portrait of doom for them, and they note that they will follow what God has commanded them to do. Now, at the very end of the portion, we see that the possession of the land extends to every tribe, including what is referred to as the half-tribe of Manasseh. This is because the would-be tribe of Joseph was split into two by the naming of his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. There is something special about the possession of the land by the tribe of Manasseh, and this could also be some sort of commentary on the saga and story of Zelophehad's daughters, one that you might be familiar with, but that is another story, and I will leave that for you to think about if you are so inclined. I remain drawn to the trope, and the Mercha Kifula, found in verse 42, speaks of the possession of the land by one of the descendants of the tribe of Manasseh. Now remember that the Mercha Kifula 
is sung on a minor progression of notes and that offsets it when you hear it. It sounds like this. Here is the entire verse in Hebrew. Listen for the Merchakifula. Vinovach halach vayilkod et kinach ve'et binoteha vayikra lam novach bishemo. The text notes that the descendant of the tribe of Manasseh, names the town he has captured after himself. While this seems pertinent, and it certainly did to me at first, it actually is not, for the descendants of the tribes of Gad and Reuben did exactly the same thing. But this verse ends the portion. It ends Parashat Matot. So there is a sense of finality. The possession of the land by the tribe of Manasseh represents one of the sons of the tribal generation, and here we are actually talking about descendants of descendants, maybe of descendants. I think, just like last week, this relates right back to that ever-essential concept of Lador Vador, generation to generation. The people Israel will live on because the land is now in their possession, descendants of descendants of descendants, and so on. Skip a verse ahead, and now in chapter 33, we move forward into Parashat Mas'e, and it spends the entire chapter detailing the poetic journey of the Israelites through 42 different trips, all the way from their leaving Egypt to now the land of Canaan. Thus, it makes sense that at the beginning of chapter 34, God tells Moses to say to the people before they're entering into Canaan that this is the land that will fall to their portion, the land of Canaan within its boundaries. The text in that chapter then goes on to describe the geographical locations that create those boundaries. For example, Yam Hagadol, the Great Sea, better known to us today as the Mediterranean, and the Sea of Kineret, which is also known as the Sea of of Galilee. And then we make it to chapter 35, and it is here that we find the rarest of rare tropes in the Torah. I've been waiting for this one, for this trope phrase is only found one time. It begins with Yerach ben Yomo, Yerach ben Yomo, the one day old moon. This is a trope which is basically an upside-down etnachta, that wishbone trope that we are so familiar with, but it appears to be an incomplete circle. So there we have the day-old moon. This is found below the word alpayim, 2000. Alpayim. And next to it are the tropes appropriately titled Carne Farah. The horns of the cow. See, all of those cows I was just talking about were pretty important in the first half. It is called this, though, because the tropes, a tilisha kidola next to a tilisha kitana, literally look like the horns of a cow placed above the word. And the word is ba'ama, meaning the length of a cubit. Well, alpine, 2,000 of them. When you put these together, sounds like this. 
Alpayim Ba'ama. So what is really so important about this part of the Torah, above everything else, to give it its one and only trope phrase that stands alone? That thought has crossed my mind definitely more than once. This chapter literally delineates the dimensions of the property that is to be built and set aside for the Levites. Now, perhaps it is the belief that the ultimate survival of the people Israel depends on the tribe of the Levites. This part of the story knows nothing of Judaism forward without the ancient rites surrounding the tabernacle or what will be the ancient temple, which will eventually stand and then fall twice. It knows nothing of us today. It is a very different window of perspective into the budding life of a people who now believe that they are going to be able to settle within the land they are about to enter, and the keepers of that tradition are within the tribe of the Levites. It is a starting point, and it, it's almost a constitution set forth with hopes of orderly success for the people. This double portion, Matot Maseh, and the Book of Numbers ends by saying, These are the commandments and regulations that Adonai enjoined upon the Israelites through Moses on the steps of Moab at the Jordan near Jericho. They've reached the land of Canaan, and here we are in chapter 36, verse 13, at the end of this book. And so with that, I have to say chazak, chazak venit chazek, as my journey over this year has now taken me one book further. What remains in book five? I think we still have some very exciting and enlightening things to uncover. So join me as we begin Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, next week. And until then, be tropeful. Be tropeful.